0: you win. You've defeated our enemies. You've defeated death. You've defeated doubt. And I pray that we give you control today in every part of our heart and our life. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.
1: my soul.
2: found it interesting that that song just said that we don't need the words, it'd be okay. I think I need the words right now. But anyway, <laughs> uh, some of you I don't know. We have only been here a few months. Um, some of you I've known my whole life, uh, so grown up here. Uh, my dad passed away in July of 21 uh, to go be with the Lord. And one of the neatest things in the latter part of his life was the the way him and my mother spent their mornings together in worship and in Bible study. And as we were setting out at Good Life and we knew we were near the end, I just took a minute, and I can't remember if it was that day or the next day. kind of runs together. But I looked over at my mother and I said, Don't worry about your Bible study. We'll, I'll be there every morning and we'll continue to do your Bible study. And I think it gave her a little peace uh, about Dad passing. But that was my beginning of my renewal of my spirit. Um, I spent a lot of years saying I've got to work all the time, take care of my family. I've got a career. I've got to climb. And sometimes you put God on the back burner. And that's easy to do, folks. And some of you that are younger, I would encourage you, don't, don't put God on the back burner. Um, it's, a lot, it's easy to do. Uh, But as I was doing that and we were doing our Bible study, we got to going through things. And my dad had a funny quirk there toward the end. If a pastor came from another church and preached at Emmanuel and he preached from a version of the Bible my dad didn't have, the next week he had. So we started going through things. He probably had 20-something Bibles. He had Bibles everywhere. So we, we, we went through all of that. Picked out ones we wanted to use and who wanted which one. But then he also started buying books he wanted to read of different sorts. And one of them he had on the shelf was this book by John MacArthur that is Why Believe the Bible. And I don't know if you've ever read that book, and sometimes Christians think they don't need to read those kind of things. But this book really jump started me. Um, I've been a Christian since I was a preteen. haven't always walked the way I should walk. But this book really sparked me getting my spiritual life going again. And it really helped me reinforce why we should believe God's word. In chapter 7 of this book, there's the five S's that he says to know if you're in God's will. And one of my biggest struggles as a Christian has always been, do I know whether I'm in God's will or not? Am I really doing what God wants me to do or am I wanting to do this? Because it's real easy to put our two stents in there. Um, but these five things really helped. It's called the five S's. And the first S is saved. Obviously, we can't work in God's will if we're not saved. That, that's step one. And in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the first thing is we have to be saved. The second S is spirit-filled. And spirit-filled is really the, the most fun part, to be honest, when you're in that spot. And you've got to get back to it if you're not, because the, the last six, eight months have been a lot of fun for me. I'm on fire about things, and I'm, I really feel the spirit working. Um, I see some places I'm sharing that I never would have in the past. Um, it's, it's just a neat place to be. And in Acts 4.31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And I think it's important for us to do it boldly. You know, it's really easy for us to say we're Christians and come here together, and, and I'm getting to know folks every week, new, new folks uh, every week as we come, and, and that's great. But we spend six other days out there. You know, I spent twenty-eight years in the schools and Christina and some others here, Laura let some of you taught while I was there, and we never talked about God. That's not what I did. And I missed so many opportunities to share. And I won't I, I, I've said lately to a lot of people, I won't put God on the back burner again. Whatever time I've got left, he's not gonna be on the back burner. Uh, so we need to be spirit-filled. The third one is we need to be sanctified, and I had to do some research on sanctified. That's a big word. I'm not a big word guy, um, but when I looked it up, it's either holiness, godliness, that kind of thing, you know. And the verse I found was First Timothy six six, and it says, "But godliness with contentment is a great gain." Wow. You know, that's that really hit me when I found that verse. If we're living in God's plan and we're doing what God wants us to do, we're content and we feel peace and we feel, it, feel differently than you ever have. The fourth one is submissive. We have to be submissive to His will. Some of the places I've shared lately aren't necessarily places I might have in the past, but we have to be submissive. If He pokes a little, you've got to pay attention. God's not going to give you a right cross. He's going to poke you a little and tell you, you need to be doing something here. So we have to be submissive. From Acts 5:29 it says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than other human beings. It's easy to follow what everybody else wants us to be doing. It's a lot harder to be following what we ought to be doing. So we need to be listening to God and be submissive. Sorry, I'm running longer. I told you I talk too much. The fifth one is suffer for his sake. And I find this one hard for us in America because we're blessed. You know, when we think suffer for his sake, we think having to risk our lives like people do in other countries. I have friends who have been missionaries since we graduated from college, and they risk their lives on a daily basis. I've never had to do that. But in those places where we should be witnessing and we're not, we need to... Be suffering for his sake, and if we offend somebody, sometimes you may run off somebody in your business because they don't believe what you 're talking about. they don 't want that in their lives, and you may i may 've run off people who I could manage property for, but it's funny when they leave, two or three more come. God provides, so i don't worry about that anymore. but the best part of that chapter was at the end of those five s's, this little phrase is there and it really changed my life it said if you're living by these five principles and going to God's word to take care of those five principles you can do whatever you want because you're living in God's will that shook me to the core because I've always over debated every single decision I make you know I overthink everything but for me it's like choosing a place for a new church when I got ready to get going for me, when I came a few times, I met with Don one Wednesday morning, and I knew God wanted me here, that this was the church for me. And I've had a piece about that from day one that I've never kind of had that kind of piece about decisions in the past. So I think that's really neat. So I'd like to, you know, think of those five S's so you know that you're living in His will. I want to leave with this, Proverbs 19:21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that will prevail. So if we're listening, his will come through all those ones we got going on, right? I always end my morning time with this prayer. I think it's simple, but it touches on the whole trinity, and it gets my day off to a good start. So if you'll pray with me. Father, help me to live this day to the full being true to you in every way. Jesus, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. Spirit, help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ proclaiming Christ in all that I do and say. Amen.
0: These come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and levels of expertise. A lot of us grew up on uh, Thomas Crown and Ocean's Eleven and Fast and Furious, where the thieves were debonair and they were you know they were smart and they figured everything out and they were seventeen steps ahead of everybody and so they were they were kind of the heroes, but the reality is most thieves aren't like that. They're much uh, smaller on scale and much smaller on IQ. Like this fella in Hickory, North Carolina, a robber went into a, a restaurant and stole the cash register while people were in there, grabbed the whole thing, just took off running with the register and did not realize that the tape from the register fell out and... Just ran along behind him. And so the cops just literally followed the paper to his apartment next door where he was counting the money and had the thing in his hands. Not the smartest guy. Uh, In 2015, a New Hampshire couple found a thief that broke into their house. Apparently, it was a lot of effort breaking into their house and and stealing all of the things because somewhere in the theft, he decided to sit down on the couch and fell asleep with the bag of the stolen items in his hand asleep on his couch. So they called the cops and they they found him right there. Or, or this guy in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I found out his name is Jacob Wise, W-I-S-E. He did not live up to his name. I'm just going to tell you that spoiler alert. He was arrested for shoplifting clothes. How many of you've gone to the and he was at the mall. How many of you have gone to the mall and they have those big plastic like tabs on there, you know, they punch through and they have to slide them into a deal and pop them out and everything. He figured out a way to take those things off. So he was going through the store and he was shoplifting and shoving them in his bag he threw his bag over his shoulder and he walked off walked out and all the alarms went off and he said oh man I must have missed one no he took all of them off and he put them in his coat pocket <laughs> not, not the smartest fella uh, but let's be honest theft is not a laughing matter most of the time uh, Burglary, New Mexico leads the U.S. in burglary. Thank you, Albuquerque. Uh, We appreciate that. Uh, Puts us on the map for all the bad things. I I found some interesting statistics about burglary. Sixty-five percent of burglaries now are done in daylight hours. You know, we kind of grew up with cat burglars at night, uh, home alone and all that stuff. But when arrested, 62 percent of people personally know their thief that was a little unnerving or identity theft we've all heard stories about identity theft and it's a horrible thing and and we see it happen all the time and it's, it steals your time and your efforts and you got to go get new cards and you got to get reset all your accounts it's so infuriating when possessions are stolen people are left feeling vulnerable or exposed but but physical things can be replaced right it's when they It's when they steal personal stuff, or emotional stuff, or spiritual things are stolen. That's when it gets hard. Things like joy, devotion, contentment, peace, humility. These are stolen by thieves called distraction, worry, resentment. And Jesus is challenging us to make a choice of what is important. We're in this series, He Said What? The Shocking Statements of Jesus. If you're online and joining us, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're on the radio, thanks for tuning in to Central Christian Church. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10, if you'd start turning that, to that place. We'll read a little bit in there. We've said as we've gone through this that a lot of these shocking statements that Jesus makes, they come in two forms. One, they're hard to understand there was some where he said don't go anywhere among the Gentiles why did he say that and then uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle you know some of these we don't know what he's talking about there but there's some others of his shocking statements they're very easy to understand you know what I'm saying they're just hard to do forgive them (laughs) that's super easy to understand that's just really really hard to do today's is kind of a hybrid because when you first read it you're gonna go huh and and then when we explain it you're going to go oh oh that is hard to do so join me in Matthew chapter 10 and he is going to talk about what is most important and what is being stolen from you i'm reading from the new living translation i'm going to start in Matthew chapter 10 verse 34 don't imagine that i came to bring peace to the earth i came not to bring peace but a sword I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, You'll find it. Jesus came to bring a sword? Is this right? This doesn't seem like he came to fight. Let's see if we can unpack this. Now, most of us, if you've spent any time in the Bible or anything about anything in Scripture, you know that Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers. That's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Wherever it is possible, keep peace among the brethren. So is he... Is he giving us two different messages? I didn't come to bring peace. No, I don't think that's it. Some of you will see, well, I came to bring a sword, and they'll say the sword of the Spirit. He came to bring the Bible. And I I think that's a, a good use of sword of the Spirit, but I don't think that's what he's referencing here. I think we need to realize this, that context is king. When we've been looking at these shocking statements... We need to look at what's going on around them. So zoom out a little bit or scroll up a little bit to the beginning of chapter 10 of Matthew, and you'll see that Jesus is sending out his apostles. He's sending out the 12. He has ordained them to go and be his ambassador, be his messenger. I want you to go, I want you to go do, I want you to go be me to the communities. And it's a powerful sending out. But he's trying to get them to understand and show them and secondarily show us that people are going to try to twist his message. Now I want you to look back at verse 34 and note one phrase he uses. In mine it said, peace to the earth. And this one says, don't imagine I came to bring peace to the earth. Some of yours might say peace on earth or peace for the earth is that important you see some will make this some people make and and they think this is our job we've got to go save the earth and bring peace to the earth i mean every year at christmas we have songs about peace and joy and good tidings to all people and we're supposed to bring peace yet jesus was never about saving big he was about saving people pointing people to Jesus. In fact, he says in Matthew 24 that this world will pass away, this earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Oh, so Don, you don't care about the environment? Is that it? You know. No, I want us to recycle our bottles, all right? We're getting new water fountains that are the bottle refillers, and you can bring your you know Yeti cup in here, and it'll be fine, all right? We, we want to we take care of the planet. We want to do everything we can. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I don't think that's what he's... I, I think he's meaning, what is our focus? Jesus came from outside the earth, and he came to divide the earth. A lot of people say, oh, he's just this big unifier. No, he did not come to to unify. Jesus did not come to save earth or save a nation. He came to save people. Not a party, not a denomination, but people who love him. And this shocking statement goes against the mindset that is out there, well... You know, everybody's going to heaven. I mean, because a loving God wouldn't send anybody to hell. This verse right here absolutely obliterates that. I didn't come to bring peace to everybody. I came to divide. I came bringing a sword that will divide allegiances. It will divide your businesses. Mike gave a great example. Sometimes in your business, somebody wants you to do unethical things. You choose not to, you might lose some business. It's going to divide schools. It's going to divide denominations. How many of you grew up in a, when I say denomination, you know what I mean by that, okay? I'm not bashing, okay? I'm not bashing, but I grew up in a church Christ, and small church Christ. My dad was a pastor, and I loved it, and I loved listening to him preach. But I grew up in the church Christ, and there was always this joke in the church Christ that, you go to heaven, and Saint Peter's walking you around, and he tells you to be quiet on this street because this is where all the Church Christ people are at, and they think they're the only one there. Yeah, anybody heard that? All right, okay, all right, we tracking. All right, but I married Suzanne. She she's raised in the Nazarene background. Guess what? They got the exact same joke. I got Baptist friends, so we had that joke. I mean, Methodist. Everybody has that same joke that they think they're the only ones here. We we. But Jesus came to divide even denominations. We get to to a point where we think ours is the right thing. What about our political parties? What about our addictions? What about our habits? What about our ways? You see, Jesus came to disturb peace, not keep it. In in Matthew 25, uh, we use the passage in Matthew 25 about... The cup of cold water when did you give a cup of cold water in my name do you remember this passage And he says, when did we ever do that and and Jesus says when you did it to the least of these but you know what the rest of that story is and the the other people come to him and say but did we not prophesy in your name did we not cast out demons in your name you remember this part and you know what he tells them depart I never even knew you." you did you hear who he's saying he's not saying depart all you bad worldly people Listen to what they were doing. They were casting out demons. They were, did we not prophesy in your name? These were church people. These are church people. He came to divide our allegiances so that we see only him. And he goes on in verse 37, and he says, I'm going to be a sword. I'm going to cut through your priorities. In other words, Jesus enters the world. He enters your world. And if everything in your world makes Him king, then there will be peace. But if there is something in your world that isn't where He is king, there will be division. Let me ask you a question. I want you to listen to this, and I want you to answer it quietly in your head, not out loud. Think about the parts of your life that are, that are dealing with the most strife right now, that are dealing with the most struggle right now, does Jesus have complete authority in that part of your life? Don't answer out loud, but think for just a minute. Because if He is not authority, there is, not, there, there is going to be strife. Maybe that's your money. Maybe it's your job, your relationships. If it's not under his authority. Now you say, but but Donna, go to church. That's not what I asked. And then ask if you're a good person. I asked, does he have authority in that area? A couple of weeks ago, Jimmy Evans was speaking at our XO conference. Um, Jimmy Evans actually we had started the XO, and many of you took part in our marriage enrichment conference. He was speaking at one of the sessions, and I mean, he just punched me right in the throat, just right there. I, I couldn't believe it. he started talking about how many of you make inner vows, inner, I-N-N-E-R, inner vows. And I was like, I don't even know what he's talking about, okay? He said, how many of you have ever said, when I raise my kids, I'll never do that? Anybody? Anybody? You can raise your hand on that one. I'll never do that. Or maybe you've said something inside your head and said, well, I'll show them. I'll prove them wrong. Or, or maybe you've said, I, I could never forgive them for that. What Jimmy Evans said was this. He said, when we make statements like that, we are making inner vows to us. And it prevents Jesus from having authority in that particular area. And I mean, it was right there to me. Because I've done that. Jesus has come to bring a sword to your control. Anybody in here control freaks? Okay. It's got to be my way. I want it my way. i got to have it this way. This is... Jesus comes and He pulls out His sword and He cuts through it. Because see, when He is not in control, there will be strife. Now hear me close on this. I'm not saying that Every part of your world that there's strife in is your fault, okay? That's not what I'm saying. There may be some section of your world, your work or your finance, or something that, that you have given him authority over, but somebody else hasn't, okay? And, and so there may be a division on there. I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm saying we've got to have the guts to look in the mirror and say, have I done everything to let him have control? The five S's that Mike was was talking about in surrendering and letting him be in control you see the presence of jesus tells us we have to make a choice i've often talked about one of my favorite stories in the bible is elijah and the prophets of baal in first kings 18 i love that story not just for the jesus wins you know god wins the big battle and all this stuff but the more I read it and the more I see it, when we were in Israel, we got to be in that place and we had to be on Mount Carmel and have Bible study there and to be there. But, but to hear Elijah talk to his people, he was a prophet of God and he could have let them have it. He could have, you people are you're making me mad. And he didn't, he, you know what he said? He goes, how long will you waver between two opinions? Look it up in First Kings 18. It's great. How long are you going to waver between two opinions? And he even says, if Baal's God, go worship him. The prophet of God okayed you going and worshiping something else. If he's the God, go worship him. Go all in. But don't sit here and waver. Do you hear that? Because we're prone to waver, anybody? We're prone to let other things take priority and make it more valuable last week Franklin talked about the rich young ruler he wouldn't he couldn't let go of his plans he couldn't let go of his priorities Jesus is telling us to let go did you notice in verse 39 he said if you cling to your life you're going to lose it the more you hang on the more you hang on to that control the more you're revealing who's really in control and it's not him you see, the superior allegiance in our life has got to be Jesus. Now, we know that. Most of us know that. But all too often, we let that be stolen from us. By work. By deadlines. Uh, by, anybody play the worst case scenario game? Anybody? Yeah. you know when something bad happens, uh, how are we going to get out of this, but if it's this, then what if about this, and then what, then what about this? Anybody the worst case scenario we know it, but you often we have those that that allegiance stolen let me let me see if I can illustrate it this way. I don't know if this works, but we're going to try it. Suppose I had again, a big suppose suppose I had a duffel bag back here, and I pulled it out and I in it. I'm, I'm going to give it to somebody. And in it is a million dollars cash. Oh, people, oh, oh yeah, this is going to be a good church service. I like this. Suppose I had a million dollars in cash and I gave it to you. How would your attitude be this afternoon? Would you let anybody get you in a bad mood? I mean, let's be realistic. It's a A million dollars. We don't have to tell Uncle Sam about it. We don't know where it came from. We don't have to report it. It's all tax free. You just go do anything you want. Would anybody get you in a bad mood that afternoon? You're like, oh, but Don, money can't buy happiness. You know what it can buy? Jet skis. You ever seen anybody unhappy on a jet ski? They're always happy there. You could have all kinds of fun. You could pay off your bills. You could pay off other people's bills. Man, this would be a blast. Would anybody have a bad afternoon if I gave you a million bucks? Okay, so let's take this and let's take it one step further. Suppose I went and got nine more of those bags and I gave you $10 million. Ten million cash, no tax, everything free. But here's the only catch. You don't get to wake up tomorrow. How many of you ever taken it? Most people I'm seeing shaking heads. No, no. Most people don't take that deal. So what you're saying is that waking up tomorrow is worth more than 10 million dollars. Then why don't we act that way every day? Then why don't we have that kind of mindset every day? I'll tell you why. We let our priorities get divided. We let our, uh, we, we forget that God has given us this bag of salvation and we worry about our bills and we worry about our, our day and we worry about our struggles and we forget what is most important. In Luke chapter 10, we're introduced to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Most of you remember those names. Lazarus got out of the grave later on. They were good friends of Jesus. They lived in a place called Bethany, which was two miles east of Jerusalem, right near the Mount of Olives. It was a normal transit. Uh, uh, it was a frequent stop of Jesus. And in fact, in this passage in Luke chapter 10, it says Martha opened her home to uh, Jesus and his apostles. So these 13 vagabonds come traipsing through her house, and she got to find places for him to sleep and got, got to get food ready for them. And they're all sitting down, and Jesus is teaching in there. And it, it sounds like a great thing to do. Hey, y'all come over to my house. We'll, we'll take care of it. It's a very servant-hearted thing to do. But Luke gives us a different detail in this story. Most of you remember this. Martha is in the kitchen working, right? And Mary is sitting by Jesus and listening to him teach. And Martha comes in and says, Lord... Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Ever been there? Can you relate? You know, everybody else is... You're working hard and everybody else is slacking off. They're taking breaks. You're the older sibling doing all the work and nobody else is doing anything. Mary's just sitting there. I'm doing everything. Surely Jesus will set this straight. He's going to make it very, very clear what's important right here. And Jesus does. He looks right at her and says, Martha, you know that only one thing is most important. Only one thing is most important. Jesus has the perfect opportunity. To let her have it, he's going to set down the law right here. He's going to make sure that everybody knows what is important. And he pulls out his sword and he comes to cut between priorities. He says, "There's only one thing that's important, and Mary's got it." Wait, wait, wait! What? Are you kidding me? Work is not first. Work is not the most important priority. But but, it's got to get done here's the kicker. Here's why this is important. Was Martha, Martha was the one in the kitchen. Was Martha incorrect? No, she was not wrong. Mary was leaving her there to do all the work and, and the, the work of hospitality should be should be shouldered by all of us that's why we have people that do we have people that do coffee we have people work in the sound booth we have people that do kid zone we have people that, that come early we have people that stay late and lock up we have all these different things everybody works together and that's important but he says mary has discovered the one thing martha all martha saw was her world you hear me All Martha saw was what she was dealing with. She could not zoom out past that. And I'm afraid we can do right and act right and have the right theology and have the right version of the Bible and still be wrong. Does that make sense? Because you start with the wrong assumptions, you're going to get to the wrong conclusions. If we assume that work is absolutely the most important, then God's going to get put on the back burner. It's going to get us in the wrong place. You see, Martha assumed work is right and first and things should be my way. Do you assume that about your opinions? Do you assume that about your way you run things? Well, they need to just get over it. Anybody? But but my political party is the correct one. My denomination is the correct one. What if Jesus is pulling out His sword and He is slicing between those? I'm afraid too often I put on my Pharisee vest and my Pharisee tie and my, I sit in my Pharisee seat and I look at all those people out there and they say, if you people... Had, Quit messing up. If you just come be like me, everything would be better. Anybody? That's what we look. We look at the whole world and said, if you people would think like me, everything would be fine. We can be 100% right and still be wrong. We look at all the problems out there. If they do it my way, it wouldn't be a problem. Here's where this comes to roost. What happens when you do it all right everything is right you've got the right version you're in the right place you're doing all the right things and it's your kid that gets arrested or it's your kid that comes home pregnant out of wedlock or it's your kid that comes out of the closet you hearing me but 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 don we did it right and we did the right things and i have the right attitude and i have the right what happens when you get served divorce papers well, I didn't even he's the one that cheated. I didn't cheat. I didn't do any. I don't deserve any of this. You hearing me? What if how come I got cancer? I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't do anything bad. I now I've got lung cancer. You hearing me? Cuz we look at these struggles and Jesus didn't come to bring peace to everything. He didn't come to make everybody happy and everything's going to be perfect and everybody can be, you know, chicken in every pot and a Lexus in every garage. He didn't come to do that. I I come to bring a sword. I will cut between what is most important. And some of you are sitting in the chair right now going, man, I wish old so and so was here in this. Well, guess what? Old so and so's not here. All right? You are. I am. And we're not talking to them. All right? Unless you're online, and yeah, we're talking to you. Okay. How are we going to treat others? He came to cut apart our opinions. He came to cut apart our attitudes about what we think is right, and let Him be right. And we started this by talking about theft and how somebody could steal your joy. If we could go back one slide. We skipped one in there. This is a a picture of a painting that was made by a guy named uh, Moritz Retsch. That's his last name. That's a drag. of It was in the 1600s. It was originally called People Playing Chess, but it has been renamed. It was renamed later on Checkmate. It's in the Louvre in Paris. How many of you have been to the Louvre? Not me. I'm I'm way too white trash. Sorry, uh, I ain't got there. <clears throat> but apparently, this is on the same floor and the same area that the Mona Lisa is, and it's very well respected art. and And it depicts, and it's it's called Checkmate. And the typical interpretation is this guy on the left with the red thing is the devil, and that guy is the human, and he's looking all forlorn, and the devil's kind of got a little smirk. I got gotcha. you. I got you. And that's the typical interpretation. And if you want to find more about this story, just Google uh, painting checkmate Louvre and it'll get you all of the story about this because people have gone in and done 3D dimensions of this painting so you can see this. But the story and the legend goes that in 1888, world-class chess master Paul Murphy was part of a group that went through the Louvre and he went to see this And they were walking him through and showing him all this stuff. And the group got ready, and they were moving on to see the Mona Lisa. And he didn't leave. And he just sat there and stared at it for a while. And they all walked off, and he just kept looking at it and kept looking at it. And then his face lit up, he said. He says this is not right. The king has one more move. The king has another move. And not only is he not in checkmate, but with this one other move he will put the that guy in checkmate. Now I'm not a chess master and I don't know what that move is so if you want to figure that out, go online and figure it all out. But I love that line, the king has one more move. Think about the Israelites. In Egypt as slaves forever they finally get out but now Egypt's chasing them and they run up against the Red Sea. They got a ocean right here. They got a, a charging war army here. They're out of options but king had one more move jesus followers follow him out into a desert place there's no restaurants out there nobody knows what to eat nobody knows what we're going to do but one kid brought his sack lunch and the master had one more move a woman is caught in the very act of adultery with no way out the law says she can be killed, and she knows it. She's humiliated. She's probably half naked. She's thrown in the ground right in front of Jesus. But the Master had one more move. And I think the ultimate is easy to see. is Good Friday. We all thought it was over. The, the guys on the road to Emmaus, they are, they're replaying it on Sunday night going, Man, we don't know what just happened. This is wild. They all thought it was over, but the king had one more move. Friends, I'm telling you all of this so we can circle in and come to this landing. So often we see doom and gloom, and our king still has moves to make. He has, still has moves to make in your life, but you've got to let him have control of the board. You've got to let him have control of what you have got. Now, too many things steal control mostly me true mostly self we want to steal control back we want to tell god how to do it but god is still moving friends even if our politics do not work out the way we want god is still moving even if it's your kid that messes up god is still moving even if it is divorce even if it is bankruptcy even if it is cancer God is still making moves. He still has moves. And I want him to I want you to let him cut between the world and you. Don't let anything or anyone steal your joy and your commitment. Jesus says a lot of shocking things. He says, "I came to cut away the trash." I come to bring this sword, and it's going to cut away everything that's holding you back. Now those are some shocking statements. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our
1: website at centralwired.org.